open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We finally arrive at the place to receive what the actual armor is that God has given to us. And we, we've been tracking with our series. We have, we've been uh, told to put on the full armor of God. The key there is the armor of God, not our own armor. Not our own resources, not our own strength, but that of God. We've talked about that. And in other words, what God provides uh, is what we are to put on. And, and now we're going to look at what that is this morning, finally. Uh, to, to, to look at the equipment that has been issued to us uh, that we are required to put on. So if you would turn to, if you're not there, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, and I will be reading from the New King James this morning. Um, and all the Textus Receptus people said, Amen. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Our focus this morning is going to be on verses 14 through 17. Um, If you're following, obviously, we have a list of armor that we put on. Um, Many people, it seems, uh, well, many of the that I read attempted to dry... To, to draw some kind of hard and fast connections or correlations with um, the pieces of the armor and the, the, the virtue of the character that is listed. In other words, they, they, they will do something similar to this, for instance. They will say, uh, for the first one, the belt of truth. They, they will try to, to somehow tie truth into the belt. Well, the belt was something that tied all the, all the armor together. And so truth is that which binds everything together. Um, they would say they would say maybe like the breastplate of righteousness. Well, the, right, the breastplate protected the heart, and the heart is the seat of righteousness. And so uh, they, they, they try to draw some direct correlations between the two. Um, take, for instance, again, the first one, having girded your waist with truth. Now, th- this is not technically a, a, a genitive, but in most of our translations, they translate this as belt of truth. Um, so they say again that the, the belt of the Roman soldier had everything in place. This is what truth does. Truth holds everything in place. But I could make a strong argument that faith is everything that holds our, our Christian life together. And in fact, um, even these very pieces of armor, Paul uses differently in different places. Um, in First Thessalonians, turn over a couple books. First Thessalonians, chapter five, verse eight, for instance. 
He says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate. And here he uses breastplate of faith and love. But in Ephesians, he says breastplate of righteousness. So, I, I don't think, as we go through these pieces of armor, I think the clue of what Paul is doing here is not necessarily trying to draw a direct correlation between each piece of the armor and, and the Christian virtue or, or character that is associated with it. But the focus, it seems to me, is from verses 11 and 13, when he says, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God. So, so his point is not necessarily to draw direct correlations, but to emphasize these are different pieces that we put on that form a whole armor, the, uh, a, 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 a comprehensive protection for us. Okay, um, so I think that's really what he's doing. That just as the Roman soldier would never think to leave his shield behind, or uh, you know, not put on his his body armor, so to speak. Uh, the the emphasis is we all of these come as a package. These aren't individual pieces of, of armor, um, and and they really work together uh, to protect us and, and help us to resist the enemy. So. Having said that, let's walk through these various pieces of armor and see what they are. Um, and remember, keep in mind that the emphasis is on the full or the whole armor of God. Uh, and, and I'll repeat this probably several times. Um, we can't say, well, I'm just going to do this and this. I'm just going to do the breastplate and the helmet uh, because, again, we looked at the wiles of our enemy, the schemes, the tactics of our enemy. And if we leave one piece exposed, uh, he will attack that piece. Uh, we, while I was sitting over here this morning, I, rem, I was reminded when, back in the 80s uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention, which has gone down the, absolutely completely gone down the tubes, by the way. The whole convention has just uh, gone down the tubes. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a period of time when... And this whole spiritual warfare, there was this, this spiritual warfare movement that was, that was going through the spirit, uh, Southern Baptist Convention. And, and a large part of it was being driven by a, a group of people led by, uh, this guy was just a former carpet cleaner. Not that there's anything wrong with carpet cleaners. I mean, for Pete's sake, Dan and I clean carpets. Uh, his name was Milton Green. And Milton Green, was, he was this traveling speaker. And he was going to these, these, these Baptist churches. He was talking about demonology and demons and um, uh, his favorite saying, I heard him once actually, and his, his, his favorite saying is, now don't get me wrong, he said, I'm not, I'm not saying there's a demon behind every bush. So I'm saying there's 5,000 demons behind every bush. He saw, he saw Satan everywhere. He saw demons everywhere. You know, if you struggled with, uh, if you struggled with forgetfulness, you had a demon of forgetfulness. It was a demon of forgetfulness that was making you forgetful. No, I'm just getting old and senile. That's it. There's no demons involved whatsoever. So, so that, that, that was his teaching. And so as we go through these, I think we're too far the other way, it seems to me, in, in the evangelical church, where we don't see any demons behind any bush. We don't, we don't even see the bushes. And I think what, I'm, what I've been doing is I've been trying to be more conscious, whether it's the political realm, the social realm, the cultural realm, I'm starting to see and to recognize that, that probably there's more 
spiritual warfare behind these things than I, than I probably have been giving credence to. Um, and so I'm going to try to push us to, to, to be more aware uh, of the spiritual realities uh, uh, and the evil spiritualities that, are, that, that there are around us. And I think maybe one of the reasons why I haven't been more consciously aware of, 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 the spiritual, of putting on my spiritual armor, so to speak, is I've really not been, I've not seen any demons behind any bushes. Um, and I think I need to start looking for them a little more. Okay, so that was just an aside. Uh, that's where I think we need to go. Okay, let's look at the armor. What's the first one? Verse 14, he says what? Having girded your waist with truth or putting on the belt of truth. I, I, I use these all as all of these genitives. You'll see all of these genitives. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, gospel of peace, shield of faith as genitives of comparisons. So he's comparing these things to the different pieces of armor. So it, I, would, I would translate this as truth like a belt, a genitive of comparison. So truth like a belt. The question is, what is the nature of truth? What truth is he talking about here? Is it a, is it a broad truth? Is he talking about the, the sense of truth as in holding to an objective, absolute reality? Um, or is he referring to a more specific kind of truth? Is he referring to, in fact, the Word of God, to the Gospel? Um, let, let, let's take a look. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. What does he mean? I, I think he's probably talking about revealed truth. Truth that has been revealed to us. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. What, what, what truth was it? The truth that saves them. So this was, this was special revelation, God's revelation. Uh, verse 12. Um, that but they, but they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So this is... This is revealed truth, very specific truth that God has revealed to us, particularly in the gospel. First Timothy chapter two. Verse three, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The, 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 the truth is a specific body of information. Namely, God's revealed truth that we have in the Word today. Uh, one more. Set, go to Second Timothy chapter two. Verse twenty five. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth. Um Part of the armor that we put on is God's revealed truth. Now, let me add to that. This is not just um, religious truth. This is God's revealed truth as it applies to our world. Um, it's not limited to the four walls of this church. So, in other words, how does God's truth apply to politics? How does God's truth apply to Law. How does God's truth apply to my workplace? How does God's truth apply to my everyday life? Um, that, that I operate 
not from a standpoint of the world's wisdom and the world's truth, but from God's truth. Uh, Bill Jack, some of you know who Bill Jack is. He used to say this all the time. He used to say, there are a lot of Christians who love Jesus with all their hearts, but they think secularly. Their thinking is, is not from a Christian worldview. It's not based on Christian truth. Um, why are we pro-life? <laughs> because of Christian truth. Because of the truth of what the Scripture teaches about the nature of people. Uh, they are made in the image of God. Um, if we didn't have this, then why not abortion? Um, anyway, truth. The belt of truth. Um, truth that's like a belt. We need to make sure that we operate from a standpoint of truth. And you've got to know what the truth is. Um, so, in fact, in the very passage in, in Romans chapter 1, when he's talking about how uh, they, they, when they, they, abandoned the, they abandoned worship of the Creator and they began to worship created things because they believed the lie and did not believe the truth, the lie. Um, so truth. Truth is important. Don't let anybody tell you that, that head knowledge is wrong. Um, head knowledge, understanding and knowing truth is, is where, we, where it all begins, really. The belt of truth. God's revealed truth to us. And, and not just in our Bible studies, but how it applies uh, to, to, our, to our world. The belt of truth. What's the second one? Verse 14 again. Having girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I want you to, I had a picture. I forgot to get it up. It, it, it was, this was a plate of armor that surrounded the, the, the entire torso of the soldier. We would call it body armor today. Put on your body armor of righteousness. And again, I take this as a genitive comparison. A righteousness that's like a breastplate. Now, this will be participation, audience participation time. What kind of righteousness is he talking about? Is he talking about the righteousness that has been imputed to us? Christ's righteousness? Or is he talking about our own uh, practical righteousness? And you can't say both. What do you, if you had to choose the breastplate of righteousness, what righteousness do you think is he talking about? In terms of this 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 body armor, part of our part of our bar, uh, armor, God's righteous. How many of you are believe that it's God's righteousness imputed to us? Christ's righteousness imputed to us. Tammy's not quite sure. She's she's kind of. How many think it's it, it's practical righteousness? That that one of the reasons is living a holy and godly life. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not a good picture I just had. Uh, okay. Okay, so it doesn't matter how we live? All right, so let's look at, let's look at, at the text. Let's look at Romans chapter 3. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, there's a genitive again, is it the righteousness from God or God's righteousness? The righteousness from God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. All right? Uh, chapter 4, verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the, the Bible clearly talks about there is a righteousness. Uh, Luther called it, I can't believe I'm quoting Martin Luther. The Luther called it an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness that was outside of us and apart from us. And this was to, to, to make a distinction between what Rome was teaching Rome teaches that there is a righteousness that is infused in us, and now we have to live that righteousness through, primarily through the keeping of the sacraments. Luther said, no, the Bible says that it is a, it is a righteousness that is, that is completely apart from us, that is imputed, that is credited to our account. So there is, the Bible clearly teaches about righteousness that is imputed to us. But the, but the Bible also talks about Actual righteousness. Is it possible for us to live a righteous life? Yes. We, now, there's a distinction between saying, can I live a righteous life and can I live a perfect life? No, none of us can live a perfect life. Is it possible for us to live a righteous life? Yes, it is. Those of us who are in, in the study of Job, what did God say about Job? He was a righteous man. Um, yes, we can live a righteous life. In fact, we are, we are encouraged to do so. Tom brought up one. 1 John chapter 2. Go away to the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who what? Practices righteousness is born of him, is one of his children. Practices righteousness. Uh, Romans 6 talks about we submit the instruments of our body as instruments of righteousness, that, that we submit ourselves as instruments of righteous, we live righteous lives. So the real answer is something I told you you were not able to do. And that really is, there's, there's, it's probably referring to both. That the breastplate of righteousness is a recognition that in terms of my standing before God, I don't stand before God, as, as Rachel said, I, on my own righteousness, because my own righteousness is filthy rags. In terms of merit, my merit before Jesus is his righteousness, not my own. And yet, as a child of God, now I am to live a righteous life in the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, and all that he provides. But part of our spiritual armor is, a, it, it, yeah, it, it is, is the righteousness that is in our right standing with God. We, are now, we now have peace with him. We are no longer in enmity with him. But the other piece of armor that we resist Satan with is by leading, living a righteous life calls it the breastplate of righteousness. And the next one, verse 15. 
having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this, this is a mouthful. Um, having shod your feet. What does it say again? Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I take this to be a genitive of source, the gospel that brings peace. So what's going on here? Um, feet fitted for the readiness of gospel of peace. I, I think the key here is is readiness. Here, here is an, is, is an, an obedience and a willingness to share the gospel. T- turn to Romans chapter 10, if you would. I know we're turning to a lot of different places today, but that's the nature of the beast this morning. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how, they, how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those. Now, this is, this is uh, one of the reasons why I'm using New King James this morning. Is the, 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 one of our Greek texts includes these words. Who preach the gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 52. It could be, it could be this fact that there is a readiness and a willingness for us to share this gospel that produces peace. Or, it could refer to the Habitual readiness of walking in the way prescribed by the gospel. Resulting in peace. So in other words, it could be the feet that are ready to take this, 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 the peace of God that is found in the gospel and, and to share it with others. Or it could be those, those feet that are ready to, to habitually walk um, in, in, in the way prescribed by the gospel, resulting in peace. I, I suppose in either one of these we could say both. But, but there is a sense in which the gospel affects my life. There is a sense in which I need to be willing to allow the gospel to affect somebody else's life. It is a sharing of the gospel, either through applying it in my own life or sharing it with somebody else. Gospel of peace. Verse 16. Ephesians 6, verse 15. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Here's our next piece of armor. Faith, which is like a shield. And and this word for shield uh, apparently referred to a large shield. If you've ever seen the movies, these are those large... Shields that the Romans would wear and, the, and the, the front line would then, as they approached the enemy, would, would use them as a wall and then those behind them would, would place them and, and use them as a, a guard for arrows that would come down. These are large. These are the large shields that they would use. Um, and again, the question is, what does he mean by faith? The shield of faith. What kind of faith is there? 
There could be, it could be my personal faith. My personal faith, my subjective faith in Christ, my subjective faith in Him, my subjective faith in His Word. Or it could be objective, the faith. The, 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 the content of God's revealed truth, the faith, is my shield. And he says that this faith will, is able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I take this to be more of my subjective faith, my personal faith. My ability to place my faith in the truth of all that God has said is a, a piece of armor against the enemy. Verse 17, salvation like a helmet. The helmet of salvation, or I, I take it the salvation like a helmet. Um, again, what kind, of, what kind of salvation is he talking about here? Um, Objectively, this is, the, the, this is the, the salvation that he secured on the cross when he said it is finished. Subjectively, it would be my personal assurance of my salvation. Uh, we, we just went through our home group, what well, we both went through, 1 John. And, and, a, and a major theme of 1 John is that you might know that you have eternal life. I think this is the sense of it. Um, John, turn, turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 27. They did not understand. They didn't understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Uh, Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of. I'm sorry, that's John 8. I've, I've been doing that a lot lately. Bear with me, I'm losing it. 1027. Yeah, here we go. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. It's, 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 this, it's the belief and faith that that's true. That, that salvation like a helmet that, that this is a, a personal assurance of my salvation. One of the attacks of the enemy is going to try to get you to doubt your salvation. Now, I suppose there are times when there should be some legitimate questioning. But by and large, we need to make sure that we do not allow him to put us under the pile by questioning or doubting our salvation. Our salvation is like a helmet to protect us that our salvation is secure and no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And finally, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So what is the sword of the Spirit? He tells us. It's the Word of God. Now, I take sword of the Spirit as an, what, what I call an adverbial. In other words, it's... It's a spiritual sword. The nature of the sword is spiritual in nature. Um, Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, first for the Jew, 
and then for the Greek. Um, t- turn to Hebrews chapter 4. The spiritual sword we have is the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Here's that sword again. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him for whom we must give account. The the nature of the Word of God, um, the spiritual sword we have, the Word of God, is not just powerful, as we saw in Romans chapter 1, it's also exposing. He said in in verse 12, it it is is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. The word has a way of, of penetrating, of exposing the intentions of the heart. One of the best things you can do for a non-Christian, one of the first things you need to do for a non-Christian is give them a Bible. Is give them a Bible. Um, he's not here this morning. He wouldn't mind me using him as an example. Pat Warfield is a classic. He'll tell you right now that's exactly what happened to him. He, Pat comes from a, or came from a Roman Catholic background. And one of the first things I did was give him a Bible. You know what started happening? He started reading the Bible, and he started reading the Bible, and he said, you know, they, they, never, they never taught me this. I, I'm reading this. They never taught me that. They never taught me this. They never taught me that. Why don't we give people the Bible? It is the sword of the Spirit. If, if we were to say there was any offensive weapon here, this would be it. I'm telling you, if you have a non-Christian friend, give them a Bible. We have Bible, all kinds of Bibles here. Give them a Bible. Just let them start reading the Bible. And it is a spiritual sword. It will expose their sin. It will expose their need. It, it, it said he penetrates even to the vision of, of soul and spirit. It has an exposing, penetrating nature to it. But more than that, in verse 12, it is living and powerful. This is the, a word that we call animating. The Bible has an animating nature to it. It's life-giving. There's something about reading the Bible that's life-giving. Um, not just for us, but when you give this to a non-Christian, that, that this, this book is different. And they won't, won't be able to put their finger on it, but this book is animating. It is life-giving. It, it, has, it is our spiritual sword. You, you, may, you may block out everything and forget everything you're... That you know, you, you forget about the Romans road, and you forgot your evangelism explosion presentation. You forget everything. You just go, just give them a Bible. If you are frightened out of your skull of using the J word to somebody, of saying Jesus to somebody, there's a problem with that. But in, at least in the meantime, give them a Bible. They may not read it right away. They may set it down. They put it in their car. Who knows? This is our spiritual sword. God's Word is our spiritual sword. Yeah. Yeah, it's that, it's that piercing, exposing, penetrating, but it's life-giving too. It, it's not cutting their head off. It's exposing their needs and their, uh, and their, and their desires and their, and, their, and their sin. 
All right, let's review the list. This is what I want you to do. I want you to, we've been looking at the trees right now. We've, we've been, we walk into a forest and we've been looking at individual trees. Now I'm going to ask you to kind of, okay, we're on a, in a helicopter and I want you, we're, we're, now we're going to, we're rising above and we're looking at all the tr- individual trees we've looked at. Truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, word of God. Take all of these together and take just a minute. How would you summarize these things? Truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, word of God. What do these amount to? How would you summarize these? How would you categorize these as a unit, as a, as a group? It's our tools. Yeah, the complete our Christian walk. I, I thought of those very things. Sanctification. Our sanctification deals with truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, word of God. Look, turn with me now to First Peter as we as we wrap up. First Peter chapter five. Think. Listen, the best armor. Our armor that God has given us is not warfare prayers, not calling out demons, um, not incantations. It's living a, a Christian life. Basic sanctification is the best. We want to, you want to resist the devil? Just lead, a, just live a life of sanctification of the basic Christian virtues of gospel, of truth, of faith, of salvation, of the Word of God. 1 Peter 5.9. Someone read 1 Peter 5.9 out loud. That's another one for your card. But. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, is, it is living a Christian life. Um, that's not what I had in mind, but that, that'll work. <laughs> Be steadfast in your faith. Uh, turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away from the, with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's our armor, just growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. It's not, it's not putting garlic over your front door. It's not, it's not chasing territorial demons out of your house. It's not, it's not we're going to look at this next week, it's not praying against Satan. Um, I combine all these things and I, and I just see sanctification. The full armor of God is when a believer is growing in his or her sanctification. Our only effective defense is a diligent, consistent personal growth in basic Christian life. Basic Christian character development. Growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So last week, if you remember... What was being advocated was not aggression, but resistance. Resist him, firm in your faith. What was being advocated was not aggression, 
is he's bringing the word to us. We don't have to bring it to him. He's bringing it to us. Is not aggression, but resistance. Today, what is being advocated is not confrontation. It's sanctification. So the two that we've come up with now, to resist the devil, to, 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 to resist in our spiritual war, is not aggression, but resistance. And we resist not through confrontation, but through sanctification. Does that make sense? Last week, what was advocated was not aggression, but resistance. This week, what is being advocated is not confrontation, but sanctification. Next week, we'll have our third and final advocation. Next week, verse 18. You might want to read verse 18 this week. I think you can squeeze that in. Uh, Verse 18. Not confrontation, but sanctification. Guys, it's just the full armor of God growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and Satan can't touch us. Can't touch us. But when we stop doing that, when we stop growing in our sanctification, it's like start, we start taking pieces of armor off and now we're exposed. We're exposed. I, I guarantee you. Yeah. I'll give you $1,000 of Sal's money. <laughs> most, of the, most of the time, when people struggle spiritually, it's because they are not being diligent in growing in, sanct- in, in all of the ways that we grow to, in sanctification. And I, and I want to encourage us to start seeing and start realizing the, re- the spiritual reality of not growing in the grace and knowledge of our Jesus Christ, how we leave ourselves vulnerable and exposed to the attacks of the enemy. There's more going on than we think. There, there's, there's more going on in terms of spiritual warfare and the activity of, of the spiritual hosts of wickedness than we realize. Um, and as we let our guard down, when we take our armor off by not growing in the basics of our sanctification, all we're doing is we're exposing ourselves to the attack of the enemy. Um, I think that's what he's saying. Not confrontation, sanctification. Let's pray. Lord, it's really kind of simple. I, I think maybe, well, it's not going to sell any books. Uh, no one's going to do a lot of seminars, spiritual warfare seminars on sanctification. Uh, we, we, it seems as though your people love to hear titillating stories of demons and demon possession and warfare praying and um, demons behind every bush. And, and Lord, it's really simple, really. It's about truth and righteousness and the gospel and faith and salvation and your word. Lord, it's about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and not falling from our steadfastness, not exposing ourselves to an enemy who is uh, prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Lord, I pray that we'd be more aware and cognizant of the reality of, of these spiritual forces that are against us. Not that we live in fear of them, but that we are aware of them. We are aware of their tactics and their schemes. And Lord, that our best defense is just to live a, 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 a fundamental Christian life based around truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the Word of God. 
And you say that when we do that, we will resist him and that when he is resisted, he will flee from us. So God, enable us and encourage us to put on our warfare, or put on our armor, that we might resist the devil. We thank you for Jesus who has given us the basis and the authority to do these things and has given us the ability to do these things, to resist our enemy. And so, Lord, it's in his name we pray and we worship him. Uh, and our focus is on him, not our enemy. And we, uh, we pray in his name. Amen. Would you please stand and join him?